Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning at our nine o'clock service. And welcome to all of you who are watching from your homes this morning as well, wherever you are. Luke chapter 19 this morning, as we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus. And today, Jesus wants to talk to us about kingdom investments, kingdom investments. But before we can invest in his kingdom, we've got to be part of his kingdom. So it's very appropriate that the first part of the passage we're going to look at this morning is talking about a man who comes to salvation, who comes to faith and becomes a part of God's kingdom. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe before you can begin investing in God's eternal kingdom, you've got to be part of his kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. And so in Luke chapter 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. It begins in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, where Jesus enters to, into Jericho. And as he's passing through Jericho and headed toward Jerusalem, we are informed that there was a man who lived there whose name was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy and very rich. Let's stop for a moment and talk about that, because that, that gives some some layers to this story. Let's be reminded that tax collectors were some of the most hated, despised people in Jewish society. They represented the oppression of the Roman Empire against the Jewish people because these tax collectors were Jews. And so they were, in a sense, looked at as helping the Roman Empire to impose their oppression upon their own people. And again, looked at as traitors. Obviously, too, because of what they did, uh, they were extremely wealthy compared to a lot of other people in Jewish society. So you sort of get the picture here of who this man was, why he was so wealthy, and how other people in his culture, in his society, would have looked at him. He would have not been popular at all. Now, it does tell us in verse 3 that this man, God was working in him. He had this desire to want to, to get a look at Jesus. And this word doesn't just speak about someone who wants to physically see somebody. This word speaks about somebody that wants to get to the bottom of a matter, that, that wants to resolve something in their own heart and mind. So this is somebody who he's already heard about Jesus, and it's already been stirring some things within him. And so he wants to sort of get a little bit closer to Jesus, maybe, maybe hear something that Jesus says today to finally be able to settle something once and for all as to whether he wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ or not. Now, we are informed that this man was of very small stature, and he could not see over the crowd. So the Bible tells us that he runs ahead of Jesus and the, the crowd that was following him, and he climbs up in a sycamore tree so that he can get a 
better view of Jesus. A couple things I want to share at this point that really apply to us. You will notice then that the desire that this man had to see Jesus overcame the obstacles that were in his way. You and I are very much like that as well. That's why the Bible talks so much about out of the heart are really the issues of all of our life because it is our heart, not that beating organ that beats the blood through our body, but the heart also, as far as the Bible and God is concerned, is that center of our will, our emotions, our desires, and everything. It all flows out of our heart. And the heart wants what the heart wants. And so therefore, if we truly have a desire for someone or something, we will do anything to overcome whatever obstacles are in the way to keep us from that thing. That, that's why you and I, when it really comes down to it, we make time for the people and the things in our life that we really think are of high value and worth. Because we'll, we'll lay everything else aside if that is the desire or they are the desire of our heart. And that's what this man was expressing. So, so that's why the, the Bible tells us, look, if God is the true desire of our heart, then everything else will be negotiable. He will not be. And everything else we will be able to lay aside for the pursuit of God. And that's what this man was illustrating. You also see that by climbing up into this tree, that he was positioning himself physically to get a better, clearer, unobstructed view of Jesus. That applies to us as well. Even if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, throughout our life, there's always going to be things that can come in that can distract, that can become impediments or whatever to us continually looking and viewing Jesus. So you and I have to constantly position or reposition ourselves to make sure that whatever we're doing, whatever we're involved in, that we're able to get a better, clear, unobstructed view of Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes to the place where Zacchaeus is perched up in that tree. And he looks up at Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down quickly out of that tree because I must stay at your house today. Let's pause there. That tells us, first of all, and I had to, I had to grin when Nicole was praying because she said the very same things that we're going to talk about. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus. You get that? Jesus could have continued to walk by and head through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, but Jesus stopped and noticed Zacchaeus up in that tree because that's who our God is. You and I need to remind ourselves even today, Jesus Christ notices you right now. 
He notices you. He sees you. And just like Zacchaeus, he knows you by name. Jesus had never met Zacchaeus up to this point. And yet he knew the name of that man. And he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, don't hesitate. Don't delay. Get out of that tree and let's go to your house and hang out for a while. Listen. If Jesus Christ is stirring something in you, if he's inviting you to something, don't hesitate and don't delay. You you go. Whatever Jesus is saying to you, you do it and you do it now. Don't waste any further time. And I love the fact that Jesus is basically saying to this man that was hated, to this man that was despised by so many, he says, I want to hang out at your house today. I want to hang out at your house today. That's who God is. That, that's, that's the whole purpose for, for why God came in the first place is he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to hang out with us. That's amazing. God wants to hang out with every last one of us today. He wants to be invited into our home and just... Hang there with us and be a part of everything that we do in our life and throughout the day. That's exactly what he was saying to Zacchaeus. But Jesus had another, even greater purpose in mind because Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit was already working in Zacchaeus' heart, already stirring that wanting to know who this Jesus was and, and to resolve once and for all, is he who he claims to be? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Lord of glory? Is he someone that I can give my life to and follow throughout all of eternity? And so Jesus wanted to make sure that he took time for this man because as Jesus says in verse 10 of Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And aren't all of us glad that that's who Jesus is? Because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Zacchaeus climbs down from the tree. And then do you see what happens next? The reaction of the people around. When the people saw that Jesus was going to go in and hang out at Zacchaeus' house, they began complaining and grumbling and murmuring. Can't believe that this Jesus is going to hang out with such a, a terrible man like Zacchaeus. Doesn't Jesus know who this man is? He's a terrible sinner. He's a traitor to our nation. We all despise him. We want nothing to do with him. And here Jesus does. The same thing could be said today. There's not a human being who's ever been born or ever existed on planet Earth that Jesus is not willing to meet. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There is nobody that God doesn't love. There is nobody that's too great a sinner for the grace of God. And God is pursuing 
everyone today, wanting to have a relationship with them, just as he did Zacchaeus. This also reminds us that you and I can be doing the will of God because we know Jesus always did the will of his Father and yet still have people complain about it and gripe about it and murmur and complain. And that's why when it comes right down to it, you and I have to do what God is asking us to do and what God wants us to do, regardless of how people are responding around us. Because we're never going to please everyone with what we do. Even when we're doing exactly what God wants, not everybody's going to be on board. There will always be the complainers. There will always be the gripers. There will always be the murmurers. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're not doing it right. You're not this. You're not that. We've got to turn off those voices and listen to God and keep positioning ourselves in a place where we continually have a better, clear, unobstructed view of Jesus. At some point in the day, a heart transformation in Zacchaeus takes place because Jesus spent time with him. And Zacchaeus turns to the Lord and says, Look, Lord, I'm willing to give half of all that I have now to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I want to make restitution for that. I'll pay them back four times what I cheated them out of. And Jesus says in verse 9 to Zacchaeus, today, this very day, salvation, God's deliverance has come to this household. Let's talk about that for a minute. First of all, you'll notice that Zacchaeus now called Jesus Lord. Have we acknowledged Jesus as our Lord? I mean, Hopefully you've acknowledged him as your savior. But have you acknowledged him as the Lord? The one who decides for us. The one who calls the shots. The one that we follow. He doesn't follow us. We follow him. Is there fruit of repentance in our life like there is Zacchaeus's? Is there evidence of salvation because the Bible tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. A new creation. Not the same person that they were before Christ. And you certainly see the evidence of that here. Jesus saw the sincerity of Zacchaeus' heart and the reality of this man's conversion. It wasn't what Zacchaeus said he was going to do that brought about his salvation. It was evidence that that salvation had taken place. And the question has to come to us, is there that evidence in our life? Because listen, we can confess and say anything. Anybody can claim to be saved and has. But is there proof, is there evidence of that life transformation in our lives like Zacchaeus? 
is there enough evidence in your life that you could be convicted of being a Christian? If you were brought before a judge and they looked at your life, would there be enough evidence to say, yep, they're a true follower of Jesus Christ? They're not someone that's just talked the talk, but they walk the walk. And we know that it wasn't Zacchaeus' works that brought him to this place, because notice what Jesus says in verse 9. He says, for he too is a son of Abraham. And Jesus here isn't talking about physical ancestry, even though Zacchaeus was a Jew. He's talking about the fact that just like Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham got saved the same way you and I get saved, by faith. That's always been the case. It's never been by works that someone can come to a saving knowledge of God. It's always by faith. And that's exactly how Zacchaeus came to know the Lord as well. And then Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to pursue those who are lost and bring them into his kingdom. I love that phrase in verse 9 where Jesus says, salvation has come. Has salvation come to you today? even to your household. Why does Jesus say household? Even though at this point, all we know is that Zacchaeus is the only one in his household who was saved because Jesus is reminding us of something. If one person in that house is saved, then guess what? They bring the light of God into that whole household. And now that opens up a whole new possibility and opportunity for everyone else in that household when just one comes to faith in that household. Salvation and the Savior can be seen through that one person. Has salvation come? Because, again, you and I cannot make investments in the kingdom of God until we become a part of that kingdom, and the only way we become part of that kingdom is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's move on. Verse 11. As the people were hearing these things, Jesus proceeded to tell them a parable for two reasons. One, because it says he was near Jerusalem, meaning that his time on earth was coming to a close. He didn't have many more days before his crucifixion. Things were getting very, very short. And because he knew that most of the people that were following him at this point thought that the visible, literal kingdom of God was going to appear on earth immediately. And we've talked about that. The two different aspects of the kingdom of God, the now and not yet. The invisible, spiritual kingdom of God where he's ruling over the hearts of those of us who've trusted him. And one day when he comes back as the king of kings and lord of lords, where he will literally set up a literal, visible, physical kingdom on this earth. We are now living before that kingdom. We are living now in the time of this invisible spiritual kingdom where he's ruling in the hearts of people. But the Jews 
As I said, part of the reason why they rejected him as their Messiah was because when they realized that he wasn't coming to overthrow the Roman Empire and vindicate them, they wanted nothing to do with him. So notice the parable. He tells them a nobleman went into a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then one day returned. But before he left to this distant country, he gathered his servants together and he gave them each a mina. A mina would have been about three or four months' wages, okay? And we'll come back to that. He gave each one of them the same, okay? And then he says to them, do business with what I've given you until I return. That's important. Not before, but until I return. Now, it tells us that the citizens of this kingdom got a delegation together and basically says, we don't want this man to be king over us. We believe that these citizens represent the Jewish nation that for the most part rejected Jesus as their king or as their Messiah at this point. Now, let me say something here. You and I have the choice of whether we want to receive or reject Jesus Christ, no doubt about that. But something we also have to come to grips with and come to reality about is this. I will still always be linked in some way to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you know Jesus is your Savior, he has everything to do with you. Everything. But you also have to hear this. If you're here today and you continue to reject Jesus Christ throughout your life and throughout eternity, he still has everything to do with you. You, you can't, because... He is everyone's creator. He is everyone's sustainer. And the eternal destiny of every human being, whether you receive him or reject him, is still all tied up with him. So you can't extricate yourself completely from Jesus Christ. You just can't. The Bible tells us that he goes away for a time, but then he comes back. And he calls these servants that he's given this mina to to find out what they've done with what he's given to them. Now, I'm going to stop here in the parable, and we'll continue in just a moment, but now I want to go back and retrace our steps because there's some important things that we need to talk about. This parable is different from the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents that Jesus gives, he's teaching there that because we all are unique creations of God, that he's given all of us different talents, abilities, skills, and spiritual gifts and whatnot. And yet, though we're all different and diverse in, in ways, we can apply the same faithfulness to the different things that God has given to us. Okay, but that's another parable. 
You'll notice here this parable's different. In this parable, every servant gets the same thing. It's not like one of them got 15 minas and the other one only got two. Here, they all get one mina, okay? So what's this represent? This represents the fact that as Christians, as God's people, there are some similarities that all of us have received from God and that all of us are accountable to God for as to how we maximize, how we make the most of them. Let me share a couple of those. All of us as Christians have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not like one Christian gets the Holy Spirit and the other one doesn't. So we all get the same Holy Spirit. Second, we've all been given the Word of God, the Bible. It's not like one Christian gets the Bible and part of the Bible. and the, No, so we all get the Bible. All of us as Christians have access to God in prayer. So we all have the same ability to be able to pray to God. We all have the ability to praise and worship God and live a life of worship. Every last one of us has that in common. And we all, as part of the body of Christ, have in common the fact that we are now part of the church that finds its local expressions in places like the oasis. And what Jesus then is saying is, look, I've given to every one of my people these same things. But obviously, every Christian makes the most of these in a different way, maximizes them, multiplies them. Some Christians, they never really become part of the church or benefit or profit the church, God's people, in any way. They take no real advantage of worship and prayer and the Bible and walking and being filled with the Holy Spirit, while others make sure that they are walking step in step with the Holy Spirit every day. And they read God's word and they study it and they meditate on it and they memorize it and talk about prayer. Man, they're constantly communicating with God. And they're worshiping God and they're praising God and they are part of a local church where they are serving God and benefiting and blessing their brothers and sisters in Christ. So you have the, all these differences and that's exactly what Jesus here is illustrating. All were given the same things but not all took advantage of these same things in the same way. And Jesus, it's not if he returns. Notice, even in the parable, it's when he returns. He's going to ask for an accounting of what each of his people have done with what he's given them. Because the Bible teaches us, all of us will give an account of themselves to God. Romans 14, verse 12. Listen, we're not going to have to ever be judged for our sin. That happened on the cross of Jesus Christ, and he took care of our sin once and for all, for all time. We're never judged for our sin. But we are all, as Christians, going to give an account for what we have done with what we've been given as Christians. We're going to have to give answers and explanations to God for why we did and why we didn't and, and what was the reasoning behind this and all of that one day. 
All of us, no exceptions. And Jesus is trying to get his people to see this. So he illustrates it by using three servants. He says, when he comes back, the one servant steps forward and says, well, sir, I took your mina and I made 10 minas. And notice what Jesus says, well done. Well done. Jesus commends this servant who maximized what God gave him who multiplied what God gave him, who made the most of what God gave him. And then I want you to note something. Note the disparity or how disproportionate the reward in eternity is to what was accomplished on earth. Jesus says to the one who was faithful in a very small matter of building 10 minus from one mina, I'm now going to give you authority over what? 10 cities? Whoa. That's a reminder to us of what we talked about last week. That no matter what we sacrifice for God or what we think we're going to give up or what it costs us to follow Christ and to follow him wholeheartedly, God is going to more than make up for it in the rewards throughout all of eternity. I get 10 minus for God out of what he's given me and he's going to give me authority over 10 cities in the kingdom. By the way, I hope some of you are willing to join me with that because I'm already there with God. I'm asking God for all the cities in the East Valley. You want to join me in ruling and reigning over that for God's glory? I'm starting with Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, Tempe, Mesa, Chandler, Gilbert, you know, on into, you know, Apache Junction and Gold Canyon. And we just, we're just going to take over the East Valley and rule and reign that for God's glory. If, if Jesus is willing to give 10 cities to somebody, then he can give seven or eight, right, to us. And then notice the next one steps forward and says, well, sir, I took your mina and I gained five. And so the Lord says, fine, you'll rule over five cities. But then another servant steps forward. And this servant says, well, Lord, here's your mina back. I put it away for safekeeping, and here it is. In other words, Lord, I played it safe. I literally, in the Greek, I stood still. I did nothing. I didn't lose anything but I also didn't gain anything. And the Lord is not happy with that servant. In fact, the servant even basically says, I was paralyzed by fear all my life, and I had a total misunderstanding of who the king really was. I looked at him differently than how he really was in reality. And all of that, lack of knowing his heart and knowing who the king really was affected the way I lived my life and I did nothing with what he gave me. Now Jesus doesn't just share these thoughts without obviously power and purpose behind it. Jesus is basically saying 
that he realizes there's going to be a lot of his people who fall into this camp one day. That when he returns or when they go to be with him in glory, they're going to basically say the same thing. Lord, here's all that you gave me back. What did you do with it? Nothing. I played it safe, you know. I, I didn't want to make a mistake, and, 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 and I, I didn't want to fail, and, and I didn't want to put myself out there and all of that, and I didn't want to invite, you know, criticism and, and maybe have people upset with me or anything. So I just, I just played it safe, and I just sort of hid back here and just held on till you came back. Tragic. And Jesus makes it very clear that he was not at all pleased with that servant. In fact, Jesus later on says, take what that servant got and give it to somebody else who will use it. See, I think one of the things that Jesus here is pointing out in this parable too is, and it's something I try to get Christians to see, but it just seems like there's such a, a mental block with so many is that what we're going to be doing throughout eternity is based on our faithfulness here. That our life here not only matters for now, it matters forever. And, and that if, if God just sees some faithfulness in little things now, oh my goodness, the things that he could allow us to be a part of and the responsibilities and the roles and the positions and all of that throughout eternity as we rule and reign with him in his forever kingdom, is huge, and it's all based on what he sees, what we're going to be doing with what he's already given us now. And none of us in this parable can say, well, God, you gave this Christian all of these things, but you didn't give me this. No, Jesus is saying, there is so much that you all have in common with each other that it has nothing to do with one of you got more than what the other one got because you all got the Holy Spirit, you all got prayer, you all got the Bible, you all got worship and praise, and you all became part of my church. You all had all these things in common. What did you do with them? Kingdom investments. See, I think Jesus is trying to get his people to just vault a little bit forward in time and ask ourselves the question, what will the king say to us when he returns? What will the king say to us when he returns? Will we hear him say what he said to the first servant? Well done. Well done. Or will we feel like we squandered our lifetime because we invested in so many other things. We invested and built our life around things that really a million years from now isn't going to matter. Temporal things, physical things, material things, rather than the things concerning his kingdom. And let me for just another moment get real practical here as far as the church goes because that's what we are supposed to be a part of. 
Do you realize that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says these words to every Christian. He says, all of us have been given the ministry of the Spirit of God for the benefit of all. Let's emphasize that last phrase, for the benefit of all. That means that when God gave us the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just for us to walk through our life having this personal relationship with God. That's part of it. But that God gave us his Holy Spirit and all that comes through the Holy Spirit so that we could profit and benefit and bless our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And Paul says to the Ephesians, as each Christian in the church does their part, the body grows in love. So we all have to ask ourselves, am I doing my part? Am I serving my brothers and sisters and serving the Lord in some capacity in the church? Because we have so many Christians today that they, they want to just take it as, the, well, I'm, I'm just out there being a Christian every day out there in the world and I'm serving God in that way. Yeah, but one day, one day you and I are going to stand before our king and one of the questions he's going to ask that we're going to be accountable for is, but what did you do in the church? Because that was my body. What did you do for your brothers and sisters in Christ? It's going to be one of the things we're going to have to answer and give an explanation for. And I'm sorry if maybe I'm stepping on some toes today, but I'd rather you hear it on this side of, of eternity rather than get there and go, Pastor Jeff never told me. I never knew how important that was to God. I never knew the value of the local church and how I need to be doing something. And I need to find a church, if it's not the oasis, I need to find a church where I believe God wants me to be a part of and where I can truly begin to invest in eternity through that local body. Because one day, the king is going to return. And every one of us is going to have to give an account of themselves to God. What will the king say when he returns? All of us that know the Lord today, every last one of us has the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. We have prayer. We have the ability to praise and worship God. And we have each other in the body, the church. All of us are going to maximize and make the most of that and multiply that in different ways. Some are going to gain 10 minus. Some, five. Some are going to say like that one servant, nope, I held my cards, I stood pat, played it safe, stood still, but here it is back, Lord. Nothing lost, but also nothing gained. Let's make sure 
that we're investing in eternity and in God's kingdom. And before we can do that, we got to be part of his kingdom like Zacchaeus. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. I'm just going to ask us to just do some heart and soul searching today. And let God's spirit just move amongst his people today. Would you stand and join me in prayer? Father, it is such an honor and privilege to be your child, to be a part of your eternal kingdom. But God, we've been reminded this morning, especially in the parable of the minas, that we also have a responsibility before you, God. That you've given us great resources as your people. And you expect us, Lord, to use the resources, the provision that you've given us in this life to maximize it, to multiply it, to make the most of it, God. Our time on this earth is very short compared to eternity. And yet, Lord, the years that you give us on this earth, Lord, we could do so much with it. What are we doing with what you've given to us, Lord? Are we influencing and impacting others? Are we growing ourselves and maturing? Are we blessing and benefiting and profiting our brothers and sisters in Christ in the body? God, these are all things that we need to wrestle with and consider. And Lord, many times it comes down to just our will, our want to. Because even as we saw in the story of Zacchaeus, the heart wants what the heart wants. And there were no obstacles that was going to prevent Zacchaeus from getting a closer look and drawing closer to God. And because of that, Lord, you drew closer to him. His effort opened up more than he could have ever imagined that day. All he thought was, I might get a little bit closer and overhear something that Jesus says And Jesus ended up spending a whole afternoon in his house. That's who God is. And so, Lord, I pray today that for all of us, God, we might be ready and willing to follow you like never before, to use what you've given us and to maximize it. May our wills be surrendered to your will, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.